0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Phil Crowd Survival Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to finish up our two-part series, part two of Tactical Kit. You know, last episode we covered all the overt carry and covert carry applications with body armor, chest rigs, plate carriers. And now we're going to finish up with tactical belt. You know, what do I wear on my belt? Clothing, you know, foot care, watches, etc. Before we go into this episode, I'd like to talk about some of the highlights of last week. And i was in louisiana new orleans louisiana it's really the first time i've been to louisiana but it was a pretty cool experience that i had with crossfit no surrender a good buddy of mine shane owns crossfit no surrender in covington louisiana it's a uh, north of new orleans and you know we set up this course called the assessment course now for all of those who don't know i do run the assessment course and the selection course that prepares you know civilians going into special operations you know, who want to serve their country, but also anybody who wants to learn about mindset, about physical preparedness in any field. You know, it's pretty cool because we're opening it up to uh, corporations for team leading type events. But, you know, it's designed for everybody. You know, we had a good turnout. We had 20 guys show up this class. A couple guys had some issues, but it's set for about 24 guys. And, you know, it's a 2.5 day course that's designed to test your physical and mental capabilities but not just designed to break you in half, but also designed to teach you the techniques that I learned, that my teammates have learned in Special Operations to overcome fatigue, overcome stress, physically and mentally. Uh, It was a great experience. I had one of my former teammates who's now the training director for Fieldcraft, Kurt Hohan, he was out there. And between my experience, Kurt's experience and Shane's experience in the Army, we were able to impart some of our knowledge and experiences downrange. We also had Joey there from I am the adventure. If you guys follow him on Instagram, but Joey's a a combat medic. Who's got a rotation to Afghanistan. He was there to do marketing and video, but also provide medical coverage for the class. A unique challenging experience for all the input that I got from the students. Two of them had Ranger option 40 contracts. Two of them had 18 x-ray contracts. We had a Marine who had a Marine contract. We had an officer who was about to branch out of ROTC, so we had uh, the full gamut of experience. You know, we're gonna run this assessment course about six times a year, and we're gonna run it from the East Coast to the West Coast with the intent, again, of not just breaking dudes off. Men and women are invited to come out to these courses. We provide, you know, lodging, chow, on site. It's not intended just to break people off again. It's intended to teach the skill sets that we've learned, so it's a mentoring process. But I think if everybody could take advantage of this, you know, if if you're working a nine to five and you're kind of bored with your routine and need something else to bump you to the next level, I think coming out of this assessment, you'll be better prepared for any new challenge that may arise. We're also planning on doing a course called the selection. You know, the assessment, the 2.5 day course is designed to do a certain thing is to assess. And we do a board process at the end where we tell guys and gals, you know, what they need to work on, you know, if they're going to be successful in special operations. And then we run the selection course, which is going to be a five-day course. It's actually going to be seven days. You know, you arrive the night prior, and then you have five days of actually going through the events, like a mini selection, including land navigation, where you'll be assessed and determined whether or not you'll be selected based on the standards that we set. It's cool because I got a buddy of mine who used to be the selection NCIC, the selection sergeant major and he's kind of mentoring us through this process and he'll be able to give his inputs to this course. So you know, you could show up to this course, you you could test yourself and see if you really got what it takes and if you'll be likely to succeed. So up and coming new things to look forward to this year and it's gonna be an exciting year. If you guys wanna check us out, check us out obviously on our website for upcoming courses on philcraftsurvival.com and also always posting new content on our Instagram pages at Soft Survivor, at Philcraft Survival, and at Kurt underscore team Philcraft. I'm also going to include this week a YouTube video, a three minute YouTube video that was shot by Joey that highlights some of the features of the assessment course. And then we'll set that date. The next date is going to be tentatively May, but we'll set that hard date for the next assessment course. So without further delay, let's go on and do this episode and start talking about Tactical Kit. All right guys, tactical kit, you know, I left off with talking about some considerations for some overt and covert options. And I got down to the waistline. And the next thing we we're talking about is the tactical belt. I run a what I consider, you know I call a battle belt. It's kind of known in in the Special Operations community. The battle belt is, is fairly a new thing. You know, we started running battle belts, I would say 2007, 2008, guys started migrating stuff off their kit and putting it around their belt because we started to realize that you know when you're in a gunfight and you have to ditch kit or you have to remove your kit you wanted to retain some gunfighting capability and some logistical gunfighting options on your belt you also wanted to maintain your first a kit relatively close to your body and you could do that if you had a combat belt that was external to your webbing belt or your nylon belt that was around your waist so you know the first ones that I remember are guys taking pouches and I did this as well where we would put pouches on our individual belt but it was a pain in the ass you know you're getting ready for an operation time sensitive operation you got to hurry up and now you're weaving a nylon belt through different pouches and so I remember the first really good version of this was with Cry Precision's Blast Belt. And I was issued that in the military. And it was a great belt. The only problem I had with the Cry Precision Blast Belt was it was heavy. You know, it was it was pretty heavy because it had soft armor in it. And I didn't want that soft armor. VTAC, Kyle Lamb made a better version of it where it was just basically soft nylon and material. And then he put sections where you could put molly pouches and add them to your your kit. You could also weave in and out this belt to provide you a place to put your holster and you could put your holster on the belt retain it but you know your belt was concealed your nylon belt was concealed underneath all this molly webbing i run the v-tac belt still it's one of my favorite belts the reason i run the v-tac belt is it's not just the width of a standard belt and on your waistline you know there's an advantage between having The ability to kind of push up your kit or your rig, you know, push up the belt up on higher above your waistline. Because you obviously crease at the waistline. And when you crease at the waistline, you know, there's distinct disadvantages when trying to get to a gun. But if you have a larger belt surface, you know, that crease doesn't affect your ability to draw. It doesn't affect that kit and the placement of that kit. What I've noticed also is with that VTAC belt, like say if I'm getting into a vehicle, because it's not pinned to my waistline, I could ride it up, you know, this, you know, just to make sure we're clear with this, the nylon belt that you would normally wear around your waist, it's weaved through this molly belt on the VTAC belt. And so it's not connected to your body. You could make it tighter so it fits nicely on your body and snug, but you can have the ability to move it up and down if you have to. So when I'm getting in vehicles, for example, I could pull the belt up just a little bit and it could ride a little bit higher to make it more comfortable than sitting on my belt line or my waistline and so you know there's been evolutions of this a lot of people have made different belts for different applications Tier tactical t-rex I was just talking to Lucas the other day about his new belt his new belt is actually a really good belt for the application because it's light a few different materials that are lighter weight that are just you know better resistant than just standard nylon and it's a little bit more innovative. You know, he runs this inner belt and an outer belt, and it, it rides perfect. It's probably the perfect combination. It's the belt that's out now that I would recommend. You know, I'll provide links on the notes for this podcast, and I'll give you links directly to T-Rex. But, you know, battle belts are a important integral part to overt operations because you could run basically almost a combat load of equipment on this belt and allow you to be able to operate. So let's talk about some things that i would put on my combat belt all right so the first thing is obviously a holster right you want a holster that gives you the ability to run your particular weapon system what i do like is the safari land als and I, the reason i like the safari land als is because one it gives me retention it gives me a unlockable and lockable thumb latch which does a couple of things number one is if if you're running kit and you're running a pistol you know, there's IPSC holsters and IDPA holsters that are built for speed, right? And most of them don't have retention, meaning they don't have a locking mechanism that keeps them in place. To me, that's a bad thing, especially when you're training for combat operations or for contracting or for whatever, because if you start running, if you start doing building climbing, you're going to lose that pistol. You know, that's your secondary. It could become your primary, but you don't want that pistol bouncing up and down. I tell people in gunfighting gunfighting is not fought on one plane and if it is fought on one plane you should challenge yourself to get to another plane to get the advantage meaning you should get flat you should get prone you should get under things you should get behind cover and when you're doing that you're moving and changing the angle of your body and obviously if you can't retain your pistol that's a problem so i recommend the als and i also recommend the als because you're able to swap out different holsters So if I'm running, you know, day ops and I don't have the need for a light or I've just, you know, if I'm shooting or teaching, I don't usually run a light on my gun. I usually run a handheld. But if I want to go to an X300, X400, TLR, or whatever, I can change that out and have the ability to do it on the fly. I can also change, obviously, into different weapon systems. You know, I use Smith & Wesson M&Ps, I have a couple high-speed target guns, and then I could, you know, put on my ALS, my Glock setup for tactical applications. So, you know, whatever holster you do go with, go with the holster that at least at a minimum retains the pistol. All right, so the next thing that I recommend is your pistol and your carbine setup for magazines. I run two magazine holster up front, meaning I could take two pistol mags up front near my person where it's near the front line of my belt and I can go down and grab it and do my slide lock or tactical reloads. At a minimum, you want two. And you want them pushed off to the side a little bit so you can lay prone. Never impede your ability to get flat or get prone by putting stuff on the front side of your kit or your belt. So I run them offset a little bit. And then to the left of that, like if I'm right-handed to the left of that, I have two magazines for rifle or for carbine. And what I like to do is I like to run pouches for my M4 magazines, and I run nylon pouches and I run plastic kydex for my pistol. You know, I want some retention in there. I want the ability for me to stick it in there and it not to come out, but I don't want to have to unfold anything. Like, say, if you're working your primary weapon system is your pistol. Well, you know, if you do a slide lock reload or if you do a, even a tactical reload, you really don't want to have to be dealing with Velcro. There are considerations for that, right? If I'm in combat and I'm running a pistol for my primary. I'm not going to have a nylon type pouch where you know I fold over something and I have to get to it fast. I want the ability to get to that really quick so I don't need to be able to pull a flap. Well, if you're running carbine for your setup, maybe you don't want that. You know, Maybe you want to be able to retain those because the likelihood of you going to them is slimmer and so you want to retain them over the long haul. So whatever your primary is, the point is, have that set up to where you can get to one you know on the slide lock reload or tactical reload fast and and you don't have to deal with a flap you don't have to deal with retention over retention and whatever your secondary is you can get you know lock it down for example for my two m4 pouches i use one that's basically a taco where i have it retained with a little rubber lanyard well you know i want to get to it i have to get to it fast But most of the time, I don't need that when I'm teaching pistol or I'm teaching squat or whatever it is because it's not my primary. So, the second pouch, the second carbine pouch, I'll have a full flap over that because the likelihood of me going to that is limited, but I want to be able to retain it still. I want to be able to keep it on my person. So, you know, it just depends on your setup, depends on the application, but minimum two pistol magazines and two M4 magazines on the combat belt. On the back side of that, I do run a medical pouch no matter what kit that you have you want to run your own personal medical kit or blowout kit on your person you want that marked with a red cross maybe your blood type but that's where you know by sop most guys stick their medical kits you know it allows you the ability to get to it to you know you could drop your belt if you have to but you can reach around and grab that and rip that out and retain it some companies make just a gp pouch right a general purpose pouch and you stuff medical stuff in there. I like the one where you could actually take it and rip into it with one hand and pull out the contents of it. If I'm a casualty, if I get shot in the arm, the leg, and I'm rolling around or trying to see cover, and then I'm trying to get to my belt, I don't want to have to be able to blindly dig through my belt, unzipping pouches and doing small micro tasks or small fine motor tasks that require me to you know, get a small zipper and zip into it blindly behind my back. So whatever you do, have the ability to reach around to your back and grab your kit and pull it out one-handed and practice that. You know, I use a medical kit based on TCCC or Tactical Combat Casualty Care. TCCC, I I get asked a lot about TCCC. If you guys are interested in TCCC, I do resource a, a company called Devil Dog Consulting in Florida. A good buddy of mine runs that company. If you're interested in that, just let me know, send me an email and I can relay his information. But he's Devil Dog Consulting at Instagram and he teaches TCCC C for a living. And TCCC C is the training that I've always gone to. You know, in the military it was combat lifesaver. It was EMT basic training. And then in the civilian sector, it's TCCC. C. These are basically all the medical procedures that you would use to treat trauma in a tactical environment or a combat environment. Gunshot wounds, you know, IED, shrapnel, head wounds, head trauma. So my kit reflects that. There's an acronym called MARS, Massive Hemorrhaging, Airway, and Respiration. And, you know, there's other parts to it, but I focus on those three. You know, my massive hemorrhaging or bleeding is addressed with a tourniquet. My tourniquet is on my kit somewhere where I can readily access it. And I use cat tourniquets from North American Rescue. I also, in a low-vis environment, for the covert option, I use rat tourniquets. You know, for airway, you could use a needle or a gauge needle to decompress your chest during a gunshot wound where you lose pressure inside of your chest cavity. And you also have a chest seal where you could apply it to the wound to make sure that you maintain that pressure. And then for respiration, you're going to use a J-tube or something to clear the airway or maybe the ability to do a crike. You know, I don't want to give too much information on all this medical stuff because I'm not a medic and I'm not the subject matter expert. But we'll have a medical episode soon where we bring on some medical experts who are you know experts in this field to talk about tactical med. But you know, definitely have a medical pouch that has all your stuff in it on the backside. To the right of that, I'll have a tool of some sort. Usually I, I run a Gerber that has an an array of different tools on it, you know, a multi-tool, whatever you run you know if you have a malfunction if you have a kit issue if you have where you have to use pliers you're working with c4 whatever it may be you need a multi-tool you need the ability to go to a multi-tool one thing i do keep on the back side of my medical kit is i have a knife i have a dan winkler knife dan winkler number one for me is the number one knife made it's the most beautiful quality knife that's made and i keep that where i could grab it with my right hand and pull it if i have to so obviously with you know going to your contingency i lose my rifle i lose my pistol i have no ammo now i go to my knife and so you want to have a knife of some sort also to address issues that you have to cut on the fly it's not just for combatives you know i use a knife as a utilitarian where i'm just i'm using it as a lever i'm using it as a wedge i'm using it as a utility knife you know to cut things to pry things so definitely have a knife on your kit no matter what kind of kit setup you have or for the application another thing i have on my kit is a d-ring you know i always have a d-ring or some something to tie into that kit you know most belt buckles have now a triangle shaped metal piece that is used to retain or hook up to you know we were flying around in iraq and we were flying on mh-60s or little birds we had lanyards you know aircraft lanyards that we would tie into you're probably not in a civilian life going to be attaching yourself into helicopters, but you might want to think about, hey, what happens if I have to retain myself on the top or edge or something with heights or buildings, or let's say you're building climbing, and then you need something to retain somebody's body weight. You're using or nylon. You hook up a D-ring on the front side of your kit, and most of these Cobra belts will take the weight and retain the weight to be able to pull casualties or pull people up into buildings. So I always have tubular nylon somewhere on my kit. And I also have a D ring. So something to just to think about. Another thing to think about is what am I going to carry for hydration? You know, we talked about the overt kit. You know, are you going to have a Nalgene bottle on your battle belt? Are you going to have a canteen? Are you going to have a bladder of some sort on your carrier? You know, think about hydration because it's really not discussed a lot. You know, it's not talked about, but hydration is the most important aspect to any operations that you're doing. You know, guys use to stuff, water bottles in their cargo pockets, but they, you know, getting a couple ounces of water is not going to work on a long duration mission. Those operations can easily go into another realm. So even guys on the flat range, you know, they don't run hydration systems or carriers because it's, you know, a temporary couple hour deal. But you never know when, when shit goes bad, it's going to go really bad. So, so you really need to have the ability to maintain hydration. Food's not really a consideration. I mean, you can go a month without food, but water, especially when you're going through something physical, you need water, you need chow, you need to be able to sustain. I use the bladders, you know, the small 100 ounce, 50 ounce bladders on my back on a carrier. Or, you know, I'll use a Nalgene carrier that I'll put on my battle belt. You don't want crap banging off your battle belt. You don't want to have to d-ring a Nalgene bottle off your off the front of your d-ring on your battle belt. But just have a plan for it. Just something to consider. All right. So what's the covert option for a battle belt? There are a lot of covert options, and one that I'm excited to tell you guys about right now. You know, I had a Patagonia belt, and it was a nylon belt with a metal buckle, and it had a zip-in liner on the back side of it. And it, you know, it was made for fly fishing stuff. You could put your keys there. You could put small stuff, you know, if you're going to submerge yourself in water just to keep away from it. And I started using that in contracting and concealing stuff like handcuff keys, you know, like pins for makeshift handcuff keys, money or cash for contingencies. You know, that's a good place to hide stuff because on the inside of your belt, nobody's checking the inside of your belt and nobody's typically looking at that. So what we did is Philcraft, we designed this belt. Basically a nylon belt that has a survival lining, I call it. And it's just a lining with three different sections, you know, and these three different sections have three different types of survival kit that you could retain. And, you know, it's a basic belt, basic, simple design, but it's not really thought about. It's, it's an afterthought. I like the utility and multi-purpose function of stuff. You know, if you're wearing a belt, which most people wear belts all the time, to retain your pants, to you know, maintain a holster on that belt, why not have a multi-purpose function? Why not have survival kit on a small scale, minimalist survival kit on the inside of that? So you don't think about it. You just take your belt, you put it on every morning. But when shit hits the fan, when things go wrong, you could throw it on. So that's gonna be coming out in the next month. And we already got it designed. We already got it being manufactured right now. So looking forward to releasing that. So stay tuned for that some other low vis consideration or reduced signatures considerations for a belt is again, taking that, you know, the inside liner of your belt, you could also retain a lot of things on the inside of your waistband. You know, what I like to do is that tourniquet, the rat tee tourniquet that we sell on our website. You know, a lot of people, there's a lot of beef in the industry about tourniquets. And I look at the rat tee as a multi-purpose functional piece of equipment. It's like rubber. If you could use it as lashing, you could use it, hell, as a, a weapon. I mean, you could literally choke somebody out with that. But you can retain it underneath your belt line or through your belt loop, and really nobody pays attention to it. It looks like a car part to me. You know, I've been in foreign countries where I've had to go through checkpoints where they pull dudes into secondary, which means they pull them into a security office because they have military-type equipment. Let's say you're going overseas and you're going on vacation, or you're going for contracting or maybe even combat operations and you're in a foreign country, if they see military type gear, like a cat tourniquet, they're potentially going to pull you into secondary. Well, I've infilled into Yemen through commercial means and able to put a rat tourniquet, you know, wrap it around my backpack or stuff it in a backpack where people look at it and they're like, oh, this just is rubber. What is this? It's a car part or it's, you know, it's lanyard. You know, I tie it around my, my waistline and it's not really looked at like a piece of military gear. And you know these things have multi-purpose functions you know like like i described you could use it for different things so whatever you decide to put on your person make it have multi-purpose functions you know i make this minimalist survival kit and the whole point of that minimalist survival kit is to have a kit that you could stuff anywhere you could stuff it in your backpack and your fly fishing bag if you have kit you stuff it in your cargo pocket or inside the glove box or wherever well this type of kit is not military looking it doesn't look like military gear and there's a consideration for that at times depending on your operational signature so just think about those kind of things all right so moving on to clothing you know people ask me hey what kind of gear are you wearing what kind of clothing are you wearing i like to support small businesses so anytime i get the opportunity i do support small business and the gear and clothing they're wearing some of my favorite clothing lines you could typically find at rei you know i'm a big fan of cool k-u-h-l i'm a big fan of cool because you know with their clothing it's really rugged i mean i have a pair of their pants that are used for mountain climbing or hiking applications that i tear and destroy and they still are holding up i judge clothing based on can i function in a austere environment with them you know most all my clothing is multi-purpose you know i want to wear a pair of pants that you know if i'm just going about my daily business they still look good but if i have to go off the beaten trail you know if i have to come off the path and i'm climbing and i'm taking knees and you know have a little bit more rugged application to them they last i don't want you know a pair of pants that the first time i would take them into the wood line they fall apart so cool is definitely a sustain. patagonia same thing you know most of their clothing is made for the outdoors so by design they are ruggedized so by design they are better than normal clothes I will say that, you know, Patagonia, when I was leaving special operations, was getting the contract for cold weather gear. And I have all their cold weather gear. I have their military loft jacket. I have their Gore-Tex. All their stuff lasts and is built to last. And it's really good. Three out Design, you know, they're based in San Francisco. They're another good company. North Face, of course, is a good company. You know, all these clothing lines are good companies, but they're expensive as hell, right? You're going to pay for what you get. I will say that, you know, when you're running this gear, no matter what it is, look at the utility of it. Just don't look at the aesthetics. You know, aesthetics are one thing. Things could look good, but if they don't actually function good, then what's the point? You know, I, I judge clothing based on their ability to last a long time. I would rather pay $200 for a pair of pants and a shirt than pay $50 and the $50 shirt lasts a couple of sessions and then, you know, the $200 shirt. Hell, I still have Patagonia and I still have cool clothing that I've had for years now that still lasts. You know, I'll give you guys a little teaser, but we're actually starting a clothing line at the end of this year. You know, we're waiting for capital to build, we're working on prototypes, and we're gonna make and design clothing that looks like normal clothing, that aesthetically is pleasing, but has multi-purpose survival functions, meaning there's things that are concealed, there's things that you know if you're going to wear a shirt anyway you might might as well have a shirt that has concealed pockets or that has the ability to retain body heat in the winter or you know vent out in the summer multi-purpose clothing is our next phase in fill craft and in our clothing line so i'm looking forward to that opportunity because you know textiles and clothing i geek out in that stuff so it's definitely my passion all right so let's talk about shoes what kind of shoes do i run I'm a big fan of Solomon. When I first started wearing Solomon's, we were transitioning out of a solos. We were transitioning out of barrels. And my experience with Merrells and a solos were, you know, a solo was too stiff. It was used for hiking, but we tried to use it in Iraq as an assaulter boot and it just wasn't functional. You know, when I was in Iraq doing combat operations, I actually used Nike basketball shoes because I had ankle support, but I had a good sole of the bottom of the shoe that was quiet but also had grip on slippery-ass floors in Iraq that you'll find typically in the cities. And, you know, obviously it's a catch-22. You know, you, you don't have the ability to go out on trails or dirt and do offsets with basketball shoes, but you have the ability to do urban stuff. So you, you needed a good in-between. Well, the Asolo was good you know, in the mountains of Afghanistan, but it wasn't good in the city. Well, the Solomons came out, and I think the GTX was the first pair that I had. And then I was issued a pair in the military that was bought commercially, obviously. And I still have those GTXs. They're one of the best pair of shoes and the quick laces that they use, the the quick one pull lace that you could stuff under your tongue or under the fold in your tongue. I mean, those shoes are amazing. I, I own probably 10 pairs of Solomons for different applications between trail running, between hiking, and they hold up. I mean, I wear a size 13 shoe and I just destroy shoes because maybe the way I'm built and they're really the only shoe that really has held up for me. So I definitely recommend Solomon's shit. I wish I was sponsored by Solomon because they're such a good company, man. I, I, I spend a lot of money with Solomon. So when talking about shoes, you can't really talk about shoes without talking about different kinds of socks. And in fact, during this assessment course, I was asked is one of the questions, Hey, what kind of socks do you run and that you recommend? My favorite socks are wigwams and smart wools. You know, you could typically get them at REI, get them online on Amazon. I like wigwam and I like smart wool and I like the lightweight version of them. I don't have the need really to ever use a heavy insulated wool sock. And I don't recommend that. You know, my feet are hot as it is. And when you run into hot feet and insulated shoes, you're going to have some issues with friction you're going to have issues with your feet not breathing. And if you're doing anything for a long duration, it's going to be a problem. So I, I use lightweight hiking socks and typically above the ankle. And I prefer to use some kind of tougher insole. Most insoles are designed for the you know average everyday use and foot. Well, my foot's not average. I have a lot of miles on my feet. I have a high arch and I like to maintain that. So I get a unique special sole. I can't remember the name of the sole, but again, I'm a big fan of REI. They have versions of this that basically maintain your arch and give you support, and that that's a game changer, especially when you're running and gunning or you're operating on your feet. You know, it's obviously a no brainer that most of the stuff that we do is on our feet. You know, word of caution with all this stuff with clothing, you know, with hats, with you know, all the gear that you wear. Remember, even if you're in the military and you're doing reduced signature, you're doing low vis stuff. There is a known popular culture type look to you, but it's kind of the same look that you would see in hikers or outdoorsmen or people who go to REI. That's better than having the sun toe watch that's issued by the military, better than wearing the 511 pants that are in khaki. You know, that's better than wearing the Black Hawk t-shirt or flannel where you look like you're a potential contractor. So just think about those kind of considerations, man, when you're choosing this kind of gear and clothing. I would rather look like an outdoorsman, somebody who's traveling abroad, a photographer, a adventurer and pay that money than to stand out and look like a potential operator. You just don't want to be that guy. All right. So what kind of watch do I wear? I wear a 756 UTC Sin watch. It's S I N N. So 756 UTC is a German watch. It has like a Sapphire glass. It doesn't crack. It's metal. It keeps good time and it uses pneumatic energy I, I think it's pneumatic where you don't need a battery and it's always going to work i recommend sin watches for guys who are interested in watches it's it's a more expensive watch but i believe that you know the timepiece that men wear that you wear is one of the most important and critical pieces of kit that you're going to put on your body i recommend digital watches you know i've gone through all the watches i've gone through suntos i've gone through casio g-shocks I, i've worn them all my favorite watch is the the Timex. I think it's like the marathoner option or something like that. It's just basically built for telling time and also for marking time. So if you're doing stuff like speed intervals, if you're doing physical training, if you're timing things, it's got that cool stopwatch on it. And they're cheap, man. I've had these high-speed Suntos and I've been issued them, I've used them, and they always break. And then you have to go through the warranty process and it's a big pain in the ass. I've had them to where... You know, I've done underwater, like maritime operations or halo stuff, and they get fogged out. And it's cool to read or measure barometric pressure and do all that stuff. But I found that they are a pain in the ass. The user interface is difficult, and I'm just not a big fan. I'd rather use a functional watch in a metal format that's a more reduced signature watch that blends into the civilian environment, and it doesn't look too military. You know, Santos is a military-type watch. So is Casio G-Shocks. It all depends on the application obviously. Outside of a watch I always recommend for you to have the ability to do GPS or land navigation electronically GPS either in a Garmin 401, you know, something that's wrist mounted or you have a GPS a civilian type GPS that you could put inside your kit or on your person to be able to navigate. You know, that's a good contingency for your cell phone going down, if you lose SMS, if you lose CDMA If you lose reception, you have the ability to navigate, especially if you're doing stuff in austere environments, if you're doing stuff off the beaten path where there aren't a lot of cell phone towers. All right, so that wraps up this episode, man, of Tactical Kit Part Two. There's a lot of stuff and a lot of good information that we can go over and talk about and feedback. You know, kit is an individual consideration. You know, get the best kit that fits your applied purpose. But also, there's also staples. Like I talk about the staples of survival, there are staples of kit that you need to always wear. Medical kit, for example. You always need to have the proper medical kit, no matter what the situation is. So just remember that. You You can get as much flair as you want in tactical kit, overt or covert, but always remember the basics. Always remember the fundamentals. All right, so before I finish this episode, I wanna go ahead and answer a question off of Instagram. I get a lot of DMs or direct messages from different, people on different subjects from survival to special operations to you know everything in in between but what i'll do is i'll answer this question I'll, I'll do this more frequently that way you know you get a little idea from different genres of the things that we cover so this question is from a kid named josh and he's on a direct message he asked me hello sir i'm sure you get bunches of dms for a day but if you have time to open read this one i have a question He's a junior high school, he stands six foot two, 220 pounds, and he's a competitive fighter. He's also in the ROTC in his high school and he's very interested in service. Can you please give me your honest opinion on the military, what you would have done differently, enlist or college, et cetera, all based on your personal opinion. So, you know, thanks number one, Josh, for answering the question and thanks for being open and honest about your situation and the fact that you're in ROTC is really cool because you're already, serving and you haven't even got to the age to be in the military which is kind of cool you know jrtc is very good for kids going into the military service or just to get a little bit more discipline. you're a big dude you're six foot two 220 pounds i'm six one 220 pounds and you know bigger guys have a lot of pros and cons as far as their capabilities but if you're fit if you're fit a big fit dude there's no reason why you can't serve in the service and so your main question is your honest opinion on the military well i think number one it is the most important and critical portion of starting out a young person's life if you were 17 18 years old i joined when i was 17 and you're able to serve it two or three years three or four years is a small sliver it's like a a tear in a bucket man it's it's a small bit of your life that could make the most profound impact and number one most people aren't hiring anyways unless you have work experience usually a minimum of three years work experience so outside of college you need that work experience well here's my opinion you know my opinion on the military is it's one of the best things you could do out of high school depending on what you want long term now if you want to serve if you told me that you were a lifer and that you wanted to serve in the military as a career for the rest of your career life I would tell you that, you know, if you're gonna go enlisted, commit to being enlisted and go that route or go the officer route. Well, you know, you don't specify that, but I will assume that you're looking at going to college and you ask, you know, would you have done it differently enlistment or college? Well, again, that depends on if you wanna serve as an officer in a leadership position, or if you wanna be operationally more and serve an enlisted position. No matter what that route looks like, the military should be part of that plan for you. You know, you're thinking about it, right? You're thinking about service, you're thinking about serving your country, do it, man. That's number one. So if you go to the enlisted route, have a plan to go to college eventually. You know, it took me 15 years to get my college degree in service and it was painful, it was hard. While everybody else was out partying, while everybody else was out after operations, going to the gym, everything else, I was doing college part-time for 15 years. And it takes you that long because operationally, you're going to be busy depending on your job. I would say if you decide that you want to go to college, look at military service as well because you can get your four-year degree and then go in as an officer and serve three or four years and still be set up for success in your 20s to do any long-term position. Remember, I went in when I was 17. If I would have stayed the extra couple years, I would be able to retire like now. And I feel like I'm healthy and i'm able to do whatever i want to do as a second career so it's going to be the first phase of your life so don't be afraid to commit to it and don't be afraid to get those years under your belt really the best years of your life in the military so i hope that helps a little bit man and thanks for your input and i hope to answer more of these later on if you guys are tracking this, you know again philcraftsurvival.com soft survivor philcraftsurvival on instagram our podcast. You know, if you can leave feedback, please leave feedback. Please subscribe. Thanks for all the support. And I hope to catch you next time. Till next time, stay alert, stay alive.